This is the Minds and Memoirs podcast. I am Jake Maynard, a third year student at the University of Texas at Austin, studying business with interest in behavioral economics and mental health. And I'm Jordy Bach. I'm a rising senior at Wash U in St. Louis. I study psychology, neuroscience, philosophy, and computer science with an interest in mental health. And this is episode three. In this episode, we're going to take a look at some of the external threats to our mental health. We'll start off again by reading a few more stories about people's mental health with a focus on the threats that people face in their lives. Then we'll hear a story from Ebony Fisher and finish with a thoughtful conversation with Dr. Cynthia Franklin, a mental health professor and an expert in school mental health. So what do we mean by threats? We are considering threats to mental health to be any non-biological factors that might influence someone's mental health, generally in a negative way. These kinds of threats can either exacerbate an already present mental illness, uh, worsen your overall mental well-being, or even give rise to new mental health issues. We acknowledge that there are also biological factors that can be seen as threats to mental health, but for the purpose of the episode, we're going to narrow our focus to the non-biological or largely external threats. So what are some examples of threats? First off, we identified four categories, traumatic events, relationships with others, societal expectations and perceptions of norms, and status slash life situation, or all put together, your environment. As some examples, the death of a loved one is a, tra- is a traumatic event, as is suffering from a serious injury. These are individual moments that cause serious negative emotions and bad memories. An abusive or toxic relationship with a parent or significant other could be a threat to one's physical and mental well-being. Bullying can also seriously harm young people's mental health as it generally occurs during formative and vulnerable years of kids' lives. The societal expectation to conform to traditional school, then to work, then getting married and having kids as a, as a pathway of life, can be very detrimental to people who don't fit into that path because it challenges their own self-image, prevents them from making their own decisions, and prevents them from leading a fulfilling life. Finally, living in poverty or in an unsafe neighborhood creates high-stress situations on a daily basis and might contribute to other harmful behaviors like drug use. So why are we talking about this? Understanding the root cause of a mental health condition is necessary if you want to mend your mental health. Your environment plays a critical role in your overall mental state, so learning to recognize components of your environment that might be harmful to your mental health can bring to light potential remedies to certain mental health struggles. It's important to note that the causes of mental health disorders are still very much up for scientific debate. We think that most disorders are a result of many factors, including genetic history and environmental factors, but there are currently no certain answers to the why question. That being said, there's no doubt that a traumatic experience is directly correlated with mental health struggles such as PTSD and anxiety disorder. Take this for example, if a person with anxiety understands that a past experience, like being in a bad car crash, is connected to their anxiety, they can address their anxiety by addressing the car crash. Discussing the car crash in therapy and coming to terms with it could ease their anxiety significantly, even if it doesn't solve it completely. 
Many threats like toxic relationships or extreme societal pressures are dangerous in that they're highly stressful and create prolonged stress. In simple biological terms, stressors activate the body's sympathetic nervous system, which increases heart rate, blood pressure, and body temperature. When this happens repeatedly or constantly, it puts a lot of strain on the body and the mind, leaving less mental strength to invest in your mental health. Now, we'd like to dive into some memoirs we found online that highlight some threats to mental health and show how they manifest. To begin, we want to highlight someone's personal story as seen on NAMI or the National Alliance on Mental Illness website. This story highlights a mental health journey throughout their school days and shows many of the threats people face when going through school. The written story is titled, Taking Off My Mask, and begins with a 200-year-old adage, a picture can tell a thousand words. They go on to write, but what people often fail to mention is that it doesn't necessarily mean the words are telling the truth about the picture. In fact, a picture can do the exact opposite. It can make it seem like everything is perfect. It can make it seem like you have never been better. It can make it seem like you're having the time of your life. The key word is seem. Because there have been many countless times, at least for me, when things are f so far from perfect, I have never felt worse. But if you look at my pictures, they will tell you a thousand different lies. These pictures seen throughout their youth are a mask, a lie. Underneath the mask, they are hurting, hanging by a single thread and all alone. The pictures never showed the dark side that they faced every day, like depression that kept them from getting out of bed. For them, this all started their freshman year of high school. External threats lingering all over. No better source than social media. She writes, I would lay in my bed curled up in a tiny ball under all the covers, silently sobbing into my pillow for hours. After reading a horrible messages on Facebook from both people I considered friends and people I had never even met, I would hear my cell phone's ringtone next to my bed and wait for the torturous notification sound to go off after letting me know I received another voicemail from a star 67 anonymous caller telling me no one liked me or that I was ugly or that I should kill myself. They would then be forced to put on the mask where nothing was seemingly wrong, have a smile on their face as they would say bye to their parents before going to school, and then the worst part, sit right next to the same people in class who were cyberbullying them the night before, ready to break at a moment's notice. All they needed was for someone to care, someone to ask how they were doing. By college, it got worse, and yet still nobody knew. The mask was concealing more than ever before, and nobody would know that in their freshman year of college, they attempted to take their life. The threats had built up to a point of no return, and even after that, the threats prevailed as they attended therapy sessions in secret as to not break the veil. This story seems far too eerie. I've personally had you know, friends I've known um, recently in recent years who have experienced and, and dealt with um, you know, levels of depression and, and threats um, where, you know, the story doesn't always progress. Many times it come, it does come to an end. Um, and I think this situation in this story, um, highlights someone who was able to, to make it, make it through that challenge. And, and they were able to progress to a point where 
you know, they were able to, to seek therapy and eventually, uh, you know, get to the point where they could share this online. Uh, but many times it doesn't, it doesn't get uh, to that, to that point. That's right. There isn't always a happy ending, but to look into school and the threats seen in this story, this person talks about cyberbullying. They have to pretend everything is okay and go to school with a metaphorical mask on and try to seem put together and try to overcome this social pressure to have their life put together and to seem like they're okay every day they go to school. Next up, we have a personal story shared on the Anxiety and Depression Association of America website of a young woman named Katrina who has battled multiple mental health conditions throughout her life. This story is titled, It's Not All in My Head. Katrina's mental health problems began around middle school. Anxiety was the first to surface and was likely probed by her issue with obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD. OCD was always an issue of hers, as when she was very young, she remembered having to step on the cracks on the sidewalk a certain amount of times until it felt right. But it wasn't until middle school that OCD really became troublesome. The issue was antagonized by the nature of her very strict school. It was so strict that even if you forgot, you know, if you forgot your book in your locker, you would get in trouble. This school norm made Katrina obsessively check to make sure she had everything a certain amount of times to avoid getting punished. She was later put on medication for her ADHD, but quickly realized that it was making her OCD and anxiety much worse. When she got to high school, she began another mental spiral, comparing herself to everyone, obsessively. This led her to developing the condition anorexia nervosa, uh, more commonly known as just anorexia. When her parents made her go to therapy, she refused to open up and thought, you know, she did not need to be helped. The overall threats continued to worsen her mental health to the point of frequent hospitalization. It was then that she realized she must begin to recover. The journey forward was rocky, including going on and off medications and developing a binge eating disorder at one point and insomnia due to the lingering anxiety. Finally, she went to a residential treatment facility specializing in dialectical behavior therapy and began to get the help she truly needed. So, to look at some of the threats we found in this story, the strictness they went through at school, the social expectations to fit in, in combination with struggling with OCD, were all threats. We saw that the journey to improvement is a process full of ups and downs, and it's certainly not an easy process. Possible other threats uh, that we could relate to this include parents, like strict parents or even non-involved parents. Um, we often see like helicopter, as they're, as they're called, helicopter parents, um, which can provide, you know, lots of, of different uh, threats to, to, um, to children or, or kids that are growing up um, in those environments. Also, in, that's like more of an overly involved parent situation. But with non-overly involved parents or non-involved parents, um, I think that's also a big threat because um, it leaves, you know, a lack of emotional support and, and, uh, you know, feeling like 
you are are loved or, or have you know a family or, or or just that people care about you and when you lack some of those things i think those can also be uh, great drivers of threats to your mental health our first guest that we're now going to talk to is ebony fisher So, welcome, Ebony, to the Minds and Memoirs podcast. Uh, we, really appreci- we really appreciate your time, um, and we're excited to hear your story and your insights about mental health. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, the first question is, just tell us your story of your own mental health journey up to this point. Cool. Um, so, it's quite an extensive one. Um, I would say it first started with really severe anxiety when I was about four years old. Um, I grew up with a narcissistic family and a really young mother who had a very traumatic, um, a very traumatic life up until the point where she had me and even following that. And because she was so young, Um, She kind of dumped all that onto me and told me her horrific stories in explicit detail. Um, I think not fully being able to comprehend the fact that I was only four, (laughs) that would then bring on my own issues as well, just from hearing hers. So I started having severe anxiety from the time I was four. And then when I went to school, I was faced with a lot of bullying and also a lot of instability uh, due to moving halfway across the country almost every year, um, which eventually led to depression. Um, Yeah, around the time I was, well, actually, I'd say when I was like six, I didn't want to go to school anymore because I was depressed and had anxiety and I would get to the point where it was so bad that I would make myself throw up so I could miss school. And then around the time I was 11 years old is when I started self-harming. And then that led to me moving back to Vancouver Sorry, this story is all over the place. Uh, that led to me moving back to Vancouver to live with my uncle and my auntie. And uh, I was taught to have anorexia. So I developed anorexia, which then developed into anorexia purge subtype. Um, yeah, the eating disorder and the depression and anxiety lasted all throughout my adolescence and my um early adulthood, there were more than a handful of suicide attempts. Um, And through those years, I got introduced to substances quite early, which messing around with that at such a young age, as well as having these mental health problems, led me to a misdiagnosis of bipolar. Um, Yeah. Pretty much now, 
for the past few years, I've been really working on changing my life around and healing and um, spirituality has really helped me with that. And yeah, it's been a long journey and there's been a lot of relapses, but I've been clean and sober and I've never been happier for the past I've been sober for three years and I've been never have been happier in the past like eight months. So that's great. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's really powerful stuff. Um, thank you for um, <laughs> being willing to open up and talk about that. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm really glad to hear that, that you're doing so well right now. It's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, a blessing I've mm-hmm. through a lot um a lot and i haven't really been lucky to have um many resources or people to confide in and kind of have had to um save myself mm-hmm. uh, and i'm just really lucky that i've been able to do that yeah and all people by like letting you know like, hey, even if you don't have resources, you can still survive anything. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, yeah. So just to dive into a little more detail about kind of um, your environment and external factors growing up, how would you say thing things like moving around a lot um, and bullying and, um, even your, um, maybe relationships with others, how much did that have an effect, um, directly on your mental health? Uh, I think quite a bit, um, the lack of stability and lack of foundation made it really hard to connect with anybody. (laughs) Um, I was always moving pretty much every year and a half to two years across the country in a different school, different city every single time. Um, So yeah, it was really hard to make friends and my family was always in Vancouver and it was just me and my mother. Um, And even with that, there was a lot of neglect. So I was pretty much alone my whole life growing up. Um, so that definitely brought on some sense of isolation and pressure, um, which I guess feeds right into the depression and the anxiety, um, kind of being forced to navigate life as a child is, yeah, but, and not even having anybody to confide in or anybody around me at all um i would say is the perfect ingredient for mental health problems yeah yeah wow yeah um mm-hmm. not funny <laughs> <laughs> no no it's not <laughs> um okay sorry um right so another thing i um was curious about is how 
how do you kind of understand the stigma around mental health? Um, yeah. I think, uh, I feel like times are progressively changing and it's becoming a, a lot better now than it was even when I was younger and um, when some of the older generations were in their prime. Um, which, yeah, I think stigma in itself is disappointing and unproductive, but also understandable. Um, and I think, yeah, it is becoming better nowadays, though, with um, influencers and TikTok. And I find a lot more young people are more open to sharing their experiences and connecting with each other that way because it used to be such an isolating thing to have a mental health issue. Um, and I think people are finally realizing, oh, we're not alone. We can connect and relate and laugh about the fact that we all share the same issues. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah I think that's a little bit of our motivation for creating this podcast is just... Yeah talking about mental health um, and giving people a voice. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious, were, were there any specific um, practices or I know you mentioned spirituality, but like any kind of specific things you started to do or, or ways you changed your mindset that kind of helped you um, improve your mental health recently? Um. My spirituality definitely uh, would be the number one <laughs> cause mm -hmm. of that. So I started doing something called shadow work a couple years ago, which is deep introspection um, on your life and on your trauma, um, your behaviors, your patterns, things that have happened to you. It's just um, really getting to know yourself and understand why you are the way you are and why you operate the way you do, and also fully process and comprehend um, all the trauma and things that you've been through in your life and um, heal from it. <laughs> so I've been doing that for the past few years, which has been really great. And there's something called karmic cycles, which um, everybody has karmic cycles and karmic people in their life. Mine happened to be a majority of people in my life. <laughs> so I've been back and forth trying to completely break ties, but when it comes to narcissism and karmic cycles in general, it takes a lot of hard work and uh, it's, it's like an addiction in itself is breaking ties with, uh, trauma bonds <laughs> so it was, was a lot of back and forth over the years and then finally I was able to completely sever the ties and it's like complete complete mental rewiring once you save yourself from that which caused you so much harm mm -hmm. and from doing the shadow work that like I've already processed those emotions and I've been able to 
look at the situations and um, forgive and let go and release and heal and also take lessons from those as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then also I do like a, like a bunch of other stuff to maintain my mindset and um, my life now, but that was definitely the biggest um, factor in me truly healing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, awesome. Um, yeah, I think that about wraps it up. So uh, again, thank I you so much for coming on and um, talking to us. Well, me. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I just, I really appreciate it. I um, mean, you had some really inspirational things to say. Thanks. Um, thanks for having me on here. Um, and yeah, <laughs> hopefully, um, yeah, it can make a difference. I just really want like people to understand that it'll be okay. And you know, sometimes it takes like facing your demons and your trauma head on and really getting uncomfortable to come out better. Mm -hmm. And it's possible. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, thank you. All right. After having that conversation, there are some takeaways. Um, that we can get from that. And, and the first one may be uh, that suffering from anxiety and depression combined with different pressures um, from life uh, creates creates this idea of layering threats. So pressures from, you know, the environment, like switching schools um, and underlying conditions like already, you know, pr uh, like already having anxiety or depression. Um, those The idea of layering those threats together cr really creates this intensification um, magnitude that can, you know, intensify the actual outcomes of the threats. And I think that's one of the big takeaways here. Jordy, if you, if you have anything else. Yeah, definitely. You just see the, the combination of factors all working together to create difficult situations, um, throughout her life. Our second guest is Dr. Cynthia Franklin, a professor in mental health and the assistant dean for the PhD program in the Steve Hicks School of Social Work at the University of Texas at Austin. All right. Welcome, Dr. Franklin, to the podcast. We are happy to have you on to discuss the various threats to people's mental health, including within the classroom and school environment, which we all face at one point in our lives. Uh, so thank you for coming on and speaking with us. Yes, Jake and Jordy, it's very good to be here with you, and thank you for inviting me. Of course. So our first question is, tell us about your expertise and area of focus within the field of mental health. Well, my main focus in mental health has been child and adolescent mental health, specifically school mental health. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and um, I'm a professor in the Steve Hicks School of Social Work at the University of Texas at Austin. That's amazing. Um, so what about schools in the school system prevent uh, or present such a challenge to students' mental health? 
Well, there's so many things that can cause challenges in school systems, you know, for young people um, as they struggle uh, to get their education and to, you know, also with peer relationships and with teachers and just a whole bunch of different kinds of things. But some of the common things I've seen, you know, in, in my experience uh, with young people, it, you know, going going to school is, you know, they sometimes can become very isolated and have a uh, sense of um not belonging in a, in a school or, or not fitting in with their peers. And this it creates a lot of problems, especially if they're being bullied or um, if they may be having difficulties at home too and may especially need the school and need the teacher's acceptance. And this causes a lot of difficulties with young people. Also, uh, you know, schools put a lot of achievement stress on kids, you know, mm-hmm. too. I'm sure you may have felt that because y'all are both uh, university students. And really this idea that we have to achieve highly, we have to do good on these standardized tests, we have to get into this college, we have to, we have to, you know, do really well in athletics, you know, all of these kinds of things. Like we have to, we have to be uh, pretty. If we're a girl, we have to be thin. If we're a guy, we've got to be strong. And, you know, you know, the girls have got to like us, or, you know, we have to have something that girls are going to want from us. Uh, all of these kinds of things like that just put so much stress on um, on on young people. And um, one of the things uh, that I often mention, I mentioned to y'all, it's worth mentioning it, is the TD, you know, and that people have TD and that's a technological distress. <clears throat> that's another thing that they have um, all the time, you know, looking at the social media and, the, you know, the and just really being concerned uh, about the likes, you know, concerned about the, about, you know, uh, what people are saying about them, what they're not saying about them. Uh, you know, I have a young daughter, she just graduated from UT Austin from the master's degree in social work. And when she was younger, she's still really young too, only 25 years old when she was younger, you know, it was always kind of like, if you send the text messages out there and people don't respond to you, that just creates this kind of sometimes false sense that people don't like you, even a lot of misunderstandings. Yeah, totally. I think I, I agree. Um, we've talked about mm-hmm. uh, social media and, and technological distress uh, threats um, on this podcast. And yeah, a lot of that is just the, the so- social uh, factors that play into to the threats um, and, you know, having to those social expectations, having to play up to those um, causes a lot of problems. So um, I've looked into your research a little bit and I, I thought this was a really interesting question that I would have never thought of, but I thought of it um, as I was looking into your background. And that is, do you see a significant difference in the severity of mental health threats between public and private schools? Well, actually, um you know, they're, they're, they're in both, you know, school settings, the, you know, public and private schools. Uh, my experience, you know, tells me, of course, that um, private schools, you know, can put a lot of pressure on young people. And they also take in sometimes a lot of distressed young people. You don't always think about it like that, but, you know, it's sometimes when kids don't make it in public schools, they also come to private, private schools. And then people put kids in private schools because they want them to be protected and farewell. And that can create, you know, its own set of problems in that sometimes you get overprotected. And if you overprotect young people and don't let them have experiences of life, that also creates anxiety. And as far as the public education goes, uh, you know, there's, there's everything in public education. I'm a real fan of public education, but there's everything there in public education 
you know, for every child. And so what you don't get in private schools sometimes is young people that they won't take, you know, there that are in the public education. So, you, you know, you're going to have a lot of uh, young people and students that have, you know, different kinds of difficulties of special education and things like this and challenges that they have to navigate through simply because, you know, public education is set up for everyone, you know, for to educate every, every, every student. I don't think that any educational system though is exempt from mental health challenges. They're, they're in all the systems. They're in, they're in private and public. Yeah, and as a follow-up question to that, do, um, is there a significant difference in the mental health, in the mental health help resources at offered at private schools versus public schools, or is that kind of more of a school-to-school -school basis? Well, it can be a school-to-school -school basis, but in my experience, you know, doing uh, in private schools and what the literature I've seen on it, there isn't a lot of mental health resources in private schools. They're just not set up like that. Some may be, but in general, if you go out to your average private or, you know, Christian school or whatever, they're not really set up with a lot of counseling, social work, and mental health resources, or you do find those in the public schools, but there's not enough of them. It's like, you know, you might find lots of school social workers in the public schools, but they run between five schools and they have, you know, 500 or a thousand students that they have to see. And so that's just an example. You just don't have that many counselors. You know, they don't have enough time to do counseling and they're too busy doing academic advising and, you know, issues like that. So there's a great need for more mental health resources. And one of the great things that's happening now is there's more awareness to that and more telehealth services and more awareness to get more mental health services into the public education. And that's certain, I've worked on that a lot in my career. Um, you know, trying to get more mental health and more uh, school social work and social services into the into the public school settings to assist um, students. And we're at a time now where uh, the general public has a broader awareness of that need. Yeah, that's interesting. I went to a public uh, high school and I don't think there was a dedicated uh, mental health counselor or helper. And that, that was for a school of about 2,500 students. Um, well, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, um, some school, I, I would say that would be rare that they didn't have something, a counselor, because there's counselors in all the schools in Texas, mm -hmm. for example, and there's, uh, as you're thinking about it, like a mental health therapist, a lot of times uh, these days they're even, they come in from the outside, they're contracted, but then there's a, there's a team of people usually that schools put together to assist mental health. And that would be a, like a counselor, a school social worker and a, and a psychologist, school nurses. And, you know, you see a lot of school health centers, you know, more um, school mental health teams like that. And then schools these days also, you know, run, um, you know, models, multi-systemic models in schools tiers of intervention, I'm sure you're aware of that, where they, uh, you know, think about having mental health, you know, prevention around um, students so that they don't, you know, get neglected or overlooked if they become uh, suicidal or, or overly anxious, whatever. But I think the gaps 
are that there just isn't enough resources and enough money has not been dedicated to this. And so if you have a large, large high school, you know, you might not even be aware of those things. I don't know what size of high school you went to, you know, that didn't have those kind of resources. Was it a big school, a rural school? Or yeah, city it was school? a fairly large school. I realize yeah. it's possible I just wasn't aware of those um, resources. Yeah, I think about yeah. It. Yeah, I know some of the schools around here I've done consulting with, um, you know, in this area, you know, they'll have a team of school social workers, but they won't be on the campus. Mm -hmm. They'll have them outside in a different setting and they'll call them in when they need them. And maybe you just didn't come to the attention. And that is one of the things that happens to people that have, have needs and mental health needs is that sometimes they don't come to the attention, especially if they don't act out or have behavior problems, if they're just more anxious and withdrawn or shy or you know, depressed even, they just get overlooked in these, in larger uh, settings and large schools. Uh, people are not aware that they're hurting, you know, they need uh, mental health services. I'm sure you've seen that in your own, own experience as well. And so schools have a, an awareness about mental health, but there's not enough social workers, counselors, psychologists, mental health professionals in schools. And they uh, do a lot of things to try to help. And then sometimes though, and you know, a lot of things get overlooked too, like the, with students or even like uh, with, you know, students that have problems sometimes I've found in my experience that, you know, teachers are sometimes afraid of those students. You know, if they have, if they act bizarre, you know, if, if they have a lot of, uh, you know, behaviors they consider like stranger things, you know, they they don't they don't know how to get involved. They're anxious. It makes the teachers anxious. And so they really don't know what to do. And sometimes it happens to bystanders, other bystanders like students as well. Yeah. Wow. Um, all right. So I, I guess asking a little more generally about stress. Um, if you were to compare like uh, prolonged stress levels, like like a stressful environment over time versus one significant traumatic or highly stressful event in someone's life or, or childhood. Is there a difference in the impacts those might have on, on a, someone's mental health or is one more s damaging than the other? Well, the first thing I like to say about that, that this is, can be very individual to people, you know, and there can be a lot of reasons why people will act, react to stress, whether it's prolonged or whether it's, you know, just one event that happens in someone's, someone's life. Uh, you know, there are things that buffer stress, like social support, you know, economic resources, uh, counseling, therapy, the right kind of help at the right kind of time, lots of things like that. But generally the research you know, in this area supports the fact that, you know, if you have, you know, like more stressors in your life and they're prolonged, you're more likely to have difficulties later on. And that would be like things like depression and anxiety and things like that. I'm someone that really tries to emphasize the strengths of students and this more buffering idea of like resilience and how people really can be, um, you know, experiencing a lot of stress, even if it's prolonged and and still you know be resilient and not have um you know difficulties be able to overcome their difficulties um and so i think that i think that happens more than some people think because when we emphasize the other 
I don't like the stigmatization that puts on people, the stigma, because it basically communicates, you know, this kind of deterministic attitude <clears throat> that if you had stress, you know, and you have prolonged stress, you're going to get, you know, depression, you're going to get anxiety, you're going to get health conditions. And I just don't think that we can predict behavior, you know, like that. I think there's too many other factors involved in uh, at the big picture and maybe in epidemiological studies, but when working with individuals, you know, that just doesn't, doesn't pan out because some people can have a lot of stress and, um, and they do pretty well, you know, in life, they find ways to navigate through the stress. And I think, I think young people need to hear that message. I think they need to hear that message that they're not doomed, you know, to a life of, 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 of challenges just because they've had stress. It can even make them stronger. Yeah. You know, in certain conditions. I totally yeah. agree. I mm. know people who say yeah. they, they, uh, they thrive on stress, you know, in stressful environments. Yeah. That's where they, that's where they feel like they're most comfortable at times. So, uh, I totally yes. agree. You know, it, yeah. it impacts everyone yeah. differently for sure. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to mitigate the fact that long stress on you, you know, and coming from difficult backgrounds, challenges, adversity, and what they call adverse childhood experiences doesn't, doesn't create, you know, the, it creates the context for, for mental health challenges. But I think there's a lot of other things that can happen. And that from the standpoint of helping people, it's better to focus on the things that help people overcome stress. That's just my own personal viewpoint. I use an intervention called solution-focused brief therapy that is an evidence-based intervention that's used with adolescents and children and families uh, that have been involved in a lot of adverse experiences from all the way from child abuse to, you know, having mental health challenges, and, you know, that that's deemed on these kind of ideas that people can actually, um, you know, overcome their stress and they, they we can work with their human strengths. Yeah, and the, totally. And, yeah. Yeah. They can build their own solutions. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, uh, thank you again, Dr. Franklin, for sharing, um, you know, your expertise and insights. We deeply appreciate your perspective on the topic and believe that understanding the threats um, to mental health, especially in the school system, is so important when tackling the broader issue associated with mental health, particularly um, in the youth. So thank you. Uh, we hope you enjoyed coming on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for I wanted to say thank you for doing this, too, because uh, to um, people like you, are involved in this this great work you're like a voice of the young people and so it's my privilege to be able to 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 talk to you and i wish you well in your work so after this conversation some of the takeaways we have there are differences between public and private schools um the private schools don't seem to have as many dedicated resources and while the public schools tend to have some resources they're often spread thin across maybe a large number of students there are technological stressors and the pressure to achieve highly in school and to perform well under difficult conditions on top of that we heard about how teachers don't sometimes are afraid or, or don't know how to react to students who might act quote unquote different from other students or show signs of mental health challenges in their behavior. And 
stress affects everyone differently. It's not just about making your mental it's not just about making your life harder. It doesn't just make your health mental health worse. It can be a positive thing. It can motivate you and and drive you towards success. But there's no one right answer to how to deal with stress or to what stress means for each person. To wrap up, in this episode of the Minds and Memoirs podcast, we discuss some threats to people's mental health and how those threats cause changes to mental health in various ways. We heard from Ebony Fisher and her inspiring story, and we stoke and we spoke with Dr. Franklin about the various threats in people's lives and in schools specifically. In the next episode, we investigate how to help yourself or others around you who are struggling with mental health. Up to this point, we've learned how to identify mental health struggles, the external causes, and the impacts. Now it's time to learn what can be done to overcome such challenges and improve your mental health. Once again, this is the Minds and Memoirs podcast. Check out our website, mindsandmemoirs.com, for more information.